Today's reading is John 15, 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give to you. This is my command, love each other. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The great American historian Will Durant once said, we are what we repeatedly do. We are what we repeatedly do. So what do we do every day? We check our phones, we text, we answer emails, we watch TV, we drive cars, we update our social media platforms. These cultural rituals in the language of Jamie Smith are something that we do by rote. We do these practices, we engage in these practices so often that they become embedded in us like muscle memory. I mean, think about it. Who really thinks about driving a car? Yet we'll get into 3,000 pounds plus of steel, we'll put a key in the ignition, and we'll drive this out on the 405 freeway, we'll be dodging other cars at speeds of 60 plus miles an hour, all the time engaged in a very lively phone call, of course, on a hands-free device, right? All doing that without thinking about driving at all. Why? How do we do that? That's called muscle memory. We do so many things in life, so many practices are done by muscle memory. And it's those repeated actions that shape our habits and our habits shape our characters, our characters shape our desires, and our desires shape ourselves. 
And so that raises the question for me, what are the practices that can help us grow into maturity, into mastery of life as followers of Jesus, and in turn help us sustain this beautiful risk of seeing where love can take us? If you're new to Grace, we've been looking in this this year, we're focusing the entire year on one theme, and the theme is a, a beautiful risk. And what is the risk? It's it's about seeing where love can take us. It's not a program. It's not a campaign. It's not some kind of a slick thing I'm trying to roll out to motivate people or anything like that. It came out of the end of the year in which I was praying, and I really sensed two things that God impressed upon me. One was that the only way forward is through self-giving love. And then the second thing that God impressed upon me was to see where love takes you. And I presented that to you as a is something that perhaps you might consider joining me in doing because that's something that I want to do. And the three risks that, that, I've, that I've suggested to you are the risk of, of letting God love us, the risk of loving God, and the risk of loving our neighbor. And those are important in terms of the order in which they're, they're found as well because we saw in 1 John chapter 4, and I'll read the text to you. If you have a Bible, maybe turn to 1 John chapter 4. In 1 John chapter 4... In verses 17 to 19, we already looked at this as we started to talk about letting God love us, but in 1 John 4, it says, by this is love perfected or made mature, completed with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Our love comes out of being deeply rooted in the love of God for us. And so that's why we spent the first two months looking at God's love for us, being rooted in God's love, letting God love us so that our love might then come out of God's love for us, so that we might love others, that we might love God and love others as a result. And so we spent two months on that. But it's also a journey, as I talked about last week, that the Christian life is a journey. It's not a one-and-done type thing where you come in and you listen to a sermon and, the, and then you just move on to other things. Kind of like I take in information and then I go, like, well, that was nice, and then I, then I go out and I live my life. But rather, it's, it's a journey. And it's about growing into maturity and into mastery of life, uh, learning to live faithfully in response to God. And last week I suggested to you as well, as we talked about faith, that faith involves more than just intellectual belief. It involves more than trust. But there's a, there's a component that oftentimes is missed among Christians, and that is that faith involves believing allegiance, that it's loyalty to, to Jesus as well. And so what is it that can help sustain us in that, that we might, we might live that kind of life over the long haul? And I'll be quite honest with you, as, as someone who has been in this calling of being a pastor, it's a very odd calling, but one of the things that I get to see is I get to see people's lives up close and personal, and I often get to watch them over time. And one of the things that really concerns me as, as someone who talks about the importance of following Jesus is how... Frequently now, I'm watching people basically just kind of gradually disappear. I'm not talking about just not attending church. I'm talking about their lives just fading out. 
that what they once had in terms of uh, this, this, this sense of a, of, of a love or an awareness of Jesus Christ then now just gradually fades out over time. And so one of the questions that, that, that I wrestle with is what is it that sustains a life of faithful allegiance to Jesus Christ? And that's been something that has been capturing my attention as I've been looking at God's words, I've been praying for, for you all, and as I've been thinking about what is it that, that, that is going to make Christianity different in the, in the years to come within our culture? So as we talk about taking a, a beautiful risk, as we talk about stepping into this life and, and living it over time, to truly live a life that's marked by taking a beautiful risk, you don't just get up one morning and decide that you're going to do it. There are practices and there's structure that makes it possible and sustains this way of life. And so I think it's worth stopping and noting that, that we mature into the life of Christ in our practices and in our habits as well as in our minds. What we do and how faithfully we do it matters as much and perhaps more so than what we think. And that might be something you're like, wait, what a minute? Wait a minute. What did you just say? When Jesus, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about how he is the fulfillment of, of Israel's law and how it, it finds its purpose in him in the Sermon on the Mount. But then at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, he spends time talking about doing, about those who do the word of God. And so his climax, so to speak, his conclusion is not just in knowing, it's not just in about reshaping your mind, but it's in doing, it's in acting, it's in faithfully responding to God's words, to the words of Jesus in this case. And so what we do, the practices and the habits, and how faithfully we perform them matters as much as the way that our minds are shaped by Jesus as well. So if we are what we repeatedly do, then my question is, what can we practice to help us grow into maturity, into this mastery of life as followers of Jesus, and live in such a way that sustains this risk of seeing where love can take us? And that's what I want to talk with you about today. And I want to suggest five practices. So we're making a turn in this series in this, as we're taking this beautiful risk this year, and I want to suggest five practices to you. And here they are. Here are the five practices. There are others that, are, that you could pull from God's word. Um, so I'm acknowledging the fact that there are others. But I've chosen these five because I believe that they're foundational. They come from God. They come from God's word. And they're foundational practices and habits that can help us sustain this beautiful risk. To really step into this maturity and mastery of life. So here are the five for those who might be listening to the podcast or sitting in the back. Start with prayer. Number two, read the Bible. Three, live life together. Four, share your table. And five, participate in God's mission. Now, as you're looking at these, the question you might have is what difference might these make? If you were to take these and say, okay, I'm, I'm willing to practice these, what, what difference might these make? Well, they're designed to provide structure. They're designed to provide structure for me and for you and for us as a community to be fruitful for God. Okay? Here's another way of looking at it. That's from the Tuscany area of Italy. 
Anybody ever been there? A couple of you have. It's beautiful, isn't it? Wouldn't you want to live there? That's where I'm going to retire, right there on that villa up there. That's, I've already got it reserved. I asked them when the last time I was there. They said, no problem. So, um, but one of the things that you see in Tuscany is just lots and lots of vineyards. And you see these rolling hills. And you see these, these just beautiful uh, symmetry of these trellises with the grapevines on them. And, and just the, the, the color of all those. And so I want to draw your attention to the trellis. Okay, the trellis. And you know what I'm talking about probably with the trellis. What is a trellis designed to do? It's designed to help get the grapevine off the ground, to allow it to spread out and grow, to allow the leaves to have maximum sunlight so that they can grow the best possible grapes and produce the best wine. So the trellis is the structure that enables all of this to happen. It's no accident that Jesus uses this image of grapes and grapevines, he lived in a, in a world of agriculture. He lived in a world where wine was very important and growing grapes was very important. Hannah read that text to us this morning, but I'd like to ask you to turn back to it, to John chapter 15, if you would, please. John chapter 15. It's page 901 in the Blue Bibles underneath your seat. If you want to turn there, John chapter 15. And in verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, listen to the words there, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. So Jesus says that he wants us to remain in him. He wants us to abide in him. And the words that he uses there is kind of this organic union. He wants us to draw life from him. Just as the, the vines draw life the branches draw life from the vine. So in order to produce grapes, in order to produce wine, so we, Jesus uses this image because he wants us to, to draw life from him so that we can be fruitful in our lives. And you wonder, well, what is the fruit that he might be talking about here? Well, he's talking about the love of God. And certainly I think that Paul comes along and he draws upon Jesus' teaching in Galatians 5 when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? The first thing that he mentions in the list is what? It's what? Love, isn't it? Yeah, it's love. So Jesus wants us to, to remain in his life, to draw life from him so that our lives will be marked by the fruit of the Spirit, of course, which is first of which is love. And so, again, as we talk about a beautiful risk of loving and seeing where love takes us, it's a work of the Spirit. It's a work of drawing life from Jesus. So these five practices that I'm suggesting to you are intended to act like a trellis, providing structure to, to deepen our lives in Christ, to draw life from Jesus so that we might bear fruit for God as a result. So these practices are, are tied to structure that we need in order to bear fruit, to draw on the life of Jesus. So here's my plan. Here's the plan going forward. In the coming weeks, we'll take time to look at each one of these habits. 
hopefully to look at them with fresh eyes and to look at them with the question of how can these help us sustain this beautiful risk of living out of love and seeing where love takes us. So it's not to look at it just simply as, oh yeah, I've heard sermons on prayer. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about connecting these two. How do we sustain a life of, of drawing life from Jesus in order that our lives might then be lives that are lived with love towards other people and to see where that love takes us? And we'll also ask how we do that. So it's the why and the how. And why? Because, as Simon Sinek says in his great book, Start With Why. If you've never read that book, it's a great book to read. He says that all the great companies that, that, that are in existence today always started with why, not with what, and not with how. You start with why. Why do you start with why? Because you will only sustain the what, whether it's your, your educational pursuits, your job, your marriage, your parenting, whatever it might be that you're seeking to sustain in life. You will only sustain the what if you first answer the why. Why am I doing this? Why? Why do this? And so we'll begin each practice with why, and then we'll go to the how each time. So with that in mind, this is a setup this week for the, all these practices. So with that in mind, I'd like to respond to a why question. Why are these practices important? I think this is a fair question. And some of you may be thinking that. Why are these practices important? And here's my answer. I think these practices are important because we're all listening to someone and we're doing what they tell us to do. We're all listening to someone and we're doing what they're telling us to do. Practices are being prescribed to us all the time. Practices from our American educational system, practices from the culture that tell us the path to success, to wealth, to happiness. We listen to instructors, we listen to coaches, we listen to therapists, we listen to our friends. And they're telling us how to live. They're telling us to do things, to pick up practices, to try this, to do this instead of this. So we're all listening to someone, and we've all been picking up practices throughout our life as a result of listening to people. And these practices are handed to us. They come with scripts, meaning stories that offer us an explanation for the good life, for what it is to have meaning in life, to find meaning in life. Most of the time, we're uncritically imbibing these. We're imbibing the practices, we're imbibing the scripts. And I'm suggesting to you that sometimes they can be Dangerous. They can be not helpful to us in the long haul. So my basic thought is this, that if we are people who are seeking to practice believing allegiance, not just intellectual assent in Jesus, not just trust, but believing allegiance towards Jesus, doesn't it make sense that we would be careful who we listen to? Let me try it again. If Jesus is our focus, our primary focus in life as followers of Jesus, if we're saying that we are Christians, 
and that we are seeking to practice believing allegiance toward Jesus, wouldn't it make sense that we are careful to listen to Jesus? Yeah. That we would be careful to listen to Jesus above all the other voices that we're hearing in this world. And I think that's why these five practices that come from God and that come from God's word are so vital to us. Because they have the power to shape us so that we will embody a shared story that comes from God and will lead us to know God in a way that simply receiving information will never do for us. I happen to wonder, perhaps believe, because I'm saying this, so I must believe it. I happen to wonder if one of the reasons why people who start out following Jesus and then kind of fade out, I wonder if one of the reasons for that is because they see, the, they see Christianity as largely receiving information. And they haven't had practices or they haven't known what the practices are or they've known them and they haven't really sustained the practices over the long haul. And so what happens is that their lives have not been shaped in the way that God wants to shape us through those practices and those habits. And the way that the story of God becomes so real to us and, that, and, 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 our, and our vision and our imagination is enlarged is as we step into these practices and as we live in these practices over a long haul, the story of God and God's reality becomes much more real to us. It's as you step into those practices and sustain these practices without having to know how it's all going to work out, without demanding that it have instant meaning and gratification to you, but as you do that over the long haul, I'm suggesting to you that the story of God and who God is and the reality of Jesus will become more real to you over the long haul. And your life will be shaped by Jesus over the long haul in a way that simply sitting in a chair, even if you make it half the time, the way sitting in a chair will never do for you. I'm not disparaging information, because I think we need to receive the word of God to us. We need to hear the word of God. But I'm suggesting the habits are very vital for us, for our shaping. So I want to finish by returning to the image of the trellis behind me. Before the vine will ever really grow and branch out and produce grapes, it has to have good soil, right? High-quality grapes grow only under the optimum soil condition. I was curious, so I looked up um, the Dry Creek Valley in the Sonoma area uh, because they produce, you know, excellent wine. And so I, you know, you can Google everything. So I Googled soil conditions for Dry Creek Valley wine. And I found out that it needs to have gravelly, sandy loam, L-O-A-M. Now, I'm not a vinter, so I have no idea what loam is, so I had to look up loam. And loam is a type of soil that has organic peat mixed in with it. And so these people that, that, that grow this wonderful, that produce this wonderful wine and grow these grapes are very concerned about the soil condition, about how it, how it irrigates and how the water runs off and how it collects and what it's receiving. If there's runoff, what, it's, what, what kind of runoff is hitting 
these vines. It's fascinating. I could see why people want to just basically cash in their job after they make a fortune, go up and buy a vineyard, and just get all into that stuff. It's chemistry, it's farming, it's everything. But I just went aside there. <laughs> wow, rain it in. So Jesus, he emphasizes the importance of soil for growing anything and probably what his, is his most pivotal parable that he ever gave. I'd like to finish by asking you to turn to Matthew 13, if you would, please. Matthew 13. That's page 818. If you uh, are not familiar with the Bible, Matthew 13. Many um, scholars of the Bible say that this is probably the pivotal parable for Jesus. This is, this is the one that everything hinges on when you understand what Jesus was coming to do. And this is the parable of the soil. It's probably familiar to, to many of you where he talks about uh, in chapter 13, a sower went out to sow and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. The birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And so Jesus gives this parable of the seed that drops on various types of soil, and it produces various results. And what we find in this parable is that the seed is the word of the kingdom. As he begins to explain it in verse 19, he says, Hear then the parable of the sower, verse 18. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand that the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. So the seed is the same throughout for all the soils that it drops on. It's the, Jesus says it's the word of the kingdom. And this answers why God's kingdom revolution that came in Jesus was not totally or immediately successful. If you want to understand why Jesus was not totally or immediately successful, it's because he brought the word of the kingdom. He did not depend upon military, political, or even supernatural power for the success of the word of the kingdom. Instead, he relied upon the word being spoken and for the word to basically be received by the people who heard it. He depended upon people hearing in order for God's rule to break into the world. And then he depended upon them responding to the invitation to join in to God's kingdom revolution in Jesus by repenting and believing turning, trusting, and offering, believing allegiance. So this parable of the soils is central to Jesus' ministry as it points to the life-giving power of the message that Jesus brought. That's why we spend time on the Word. That's why we spend time listening to God. That's why we do talk and we open up God's Word is because the kingdom advances through the Word, the Word of the kingdom. But the seed of the gospel of the kingdom will only take root and will only flourish to the extent that the soil is receptive. And that's what Jesus points out here. 
So it raises a question. How receptive am I to receiving what Jesus wants for me? How receptive are you to receiving what Jesus wants for you? How receptive are we as a community of God's people to receiving what God wants for us? In other words, these practices that I've described to you will only take root if I first learn to not let resistance and critique be my first response to God and his word to me. And I believe it begins with self-awareness that, that I do that, that we do that. Deconstruction and cynicism are two practices that just seem to come with the culture here in Southern California. And it's easy to allow cynicism to run kind of like an operating system in the background, conditioning all of our responses to life, to people, to God, and to the teaching of Scripture. And we're not even aware of it because it's, it's our first response. It's the filter that we use to hear anything. And so I'm suggesting to you that a place to begin kind of as a foundation for going into these practices is the practice of ascent. Ascent. It's behind me on a slide. And what do I mean by that? It's, I mean saying yes to Jesus and what he wants for me and what he wants for us. Saying yes to Jesus. You know, that's a real discipline to begin with each day where you wake up and the first thing that comes through your mind is not, where's my phone? And I start scrolling through texts and start texting and emailing and everything else. We're so attached to that stuff. But maybe the first practice is the practice of waking up and saying yes to Jesus. Where the first thing that comes through my mind is I say, Jesus, I'm saying yes to you today. This is my act of believing allegiance with which I want to start the day. I want to orient myself in a posture of openness to you. And so it raises a question such as, am I willing to let myself be taught? Seriously. Just sitting here and listening doesn't mean that I have a willingness to be taught. Am I willing to be shaped by Jesus, by other people? Am I willing to inhabit a discipline of ascent? Or will I, will you, will we retain our autonomy and our individualism? Are we as a community willing to say yes to this together? That's the hardest thing. Because here's my, here's my final comment. that If you're in a group of people, a circle of friends who practice cynicism, autonomy, individualism, and deconstruction, to break out of that by saying yes to Jesus is to risk being kicked out of the group. Because oftentimes our friendships are held together by these common practices that we do. 
And to say yes to Jesus is to risk being the odd person out. And so it can be a very risky thing to do it, to say yes to Jesus. And as long as that dynamic is in place where we say, oh, it's too risky to step out of my circle of friends and to risk saying yes to Jesus and to really practicing this stuff and maybe being laughed at or put down by my friends as being, you know, holy roller, goody two-shoes, whatever the language might be. Then what it does in the end is it keeps us from a, as a community from moving forward together. I think that's the biggest thing that I see that I think the jury's out on the church in America on whether the church can do anything more than just be a collection of individuals. A collection of autonomous individuals who basically are curating their own personal spirituality as they see fit. And I don't say that out of disparaging condescension to anyone in here. I love you all, and I'm saying that because I care about the church, and I care about Jesus, and I care about us having a witness in this world. So the question is, can we as a community, and how can we as a community say yes to these practices so that if someone came into this community, they would go, oh my goodness, these people are serious about a way of life. That it's in the fabric of the way that they live. It's deeply rooted. And as a result of that, there's stuff coming out of their lives that they aren't even aware of, but we come in and we see it. It's just pouring out of their life. Jesus is pouring out of their life. I believe that most of us want that. And I believe that most of us perhaps have lost vision for that somewhere along the lines. And I'm suggesting to you that these five practices with this practice of ascent could be the way forward for us together. And there's only one way of finding out, of course, right? Try it, right? Try it. See what Jesus might do through it. Thank you for listening. I want to ask God to use this in our lives. I thank you, Father, for the beauty of your word. I thank you for the reality of it. I thank you for revealing yourself to us in Jesus and through your spirit. I thank you for my brothers and sisters, my spiritual parents, my, the people that have walked with me and loved me and the people that love each other here in such a self-giving and sacrificial way. Jesus, I know that deep down in, in my life and many people's lives, there is a longing for something more. And so I ask that as we um, perhaps open ourselves up to say yes to you without even knowing where it's going to lead, that that might be the biggest step for us forward together. So I ask Jesus that you would do in us and through us what it is that you want to do so that we might bear fruit, so that we might bring glory to you in this world. We ask this together because we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.